Well, good day, everyone, and uh, welcome to uh, another edition of Nun Talks. Today, I'm I'm really excited about our presenter today um, and our conversation with uh, Ryan Winder, who um, attended school here in Carston. He grew up in Hillspring, graduated from Carston High School, uh, went to the University of Lethbridge, got a Bachelor's of Art in Psychology, and then uh, headed south uh, to graduate school at the University of Las Vegas, uh, master's degree in counseling, marriage and family therapy, um, and has spent a lot of time uh, working in the Vegas area, and then um, has moved his family, I think uh, partly related probably to COVID and working environments and things like that, but to Meridian, Idaho. He does have his own podcast called The Vegas Therapist, and we'll put a link to that in our uh, podcast notes so you can learn more uh, about Ryan. But uh, welcome to uh, Nun Talks today, Ryan. We're excited to have you here. Um, so do you want me just to kind of introduce myself a little bit yeah. more? I mean, you, did, you did great there. Yeah. Um, I guess just for me, like, like you said, I mean, coming from, you know, that area, um, Obviously, I, my schooling kind of took me, you know, took me south. Um, but, you know, psychology has always been something that I've been interested in. I think if you um, if you go on my Web page, I have a video just kind of that tells a little bit about my story about um, kind of how I got into it. And a lot of it had to do with trauma that our family went through at an early time in my life with my brother, who a lot of, you know, because he's teaches in the district. Um, just when he um, was shot as a young kid and just kind of the impact that that had on our family. And um, but at the same time, wanting to be, you know, somebody I, I, I just always have been curious of kind of kind of why people did the things they did and having a better understanding for that. And maybe um, kind of experiencing that trauma also gave me the compassion for others and kind of wanting to help them through difficult times. Um, but, you know, definitely as I've gone on in my career, um, you know, I've been able, I've been fortunate to, you know, work with a lot of people and have a lot of opportunities to whether to present or to kind of be in an expanded role, but also do the individual stuff where you have somebody one-on-one -on -one and get to help them work through stuff, both, you know, I've worked with adolescents and, and adults alike. And, um, I kind of, I don't work a lot with younger kids, um, just because I just feel like that needs an added component to it, but definitely, you know, worked with a lot of teenagers and people in, you know, the junior high, high school kind of range. So, um, but um, yeah, that's kind of a little bit about me. And like, like you said, we recently moved to to Idaho. It was probably a little bit more of a midlife crisis on my <laughs> wife's part, not necessarily mine. I was I was pretty okay with where where, where I was at. I mean, in Vegas. Um, but, um, but we have, my wife has some family here. And so, um, we took it as an opportunity and it, it's actually been really good. It was really good for our kids, especially during COVID. Um, my son, if he would have been in Vegas, he wouldn't have really been able to play his senior year in baseball. Um, so he was able to play here in Meridian and had that, had that opportunity. So he didn't get up. He missed, he didn't miss out on that. And then plus, you know, with COVID, um, you know, telehealth has been a major thing as well. And so I've really kept this and kept my practice there and then, you know, I've been continuing to build a practice here. So um, kind of get the best of both worlds there and, and have that opportunity still. So, um, but that's, that's a little bit about kind of me and where I'm at right now. 
Well, that's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. And I know uh, I saw a, saw a short clip uh, of some work that you did for Carson Junior High with their hockey academy and some work on support mm-hmm. psychologists and or psychology, I should say, and and all of that. So uh, super excited to see you involved in Westwind still and supporting your, yeah. your hometown uh, kids. So we appreciate that. Yeah. Well, there's, yeah, there's, I also did a video last, last, oh yeah, sorry. No, go ahead. I just said, I did a, a video last year for mental health for the junior high as well. Oh, awesome. Um, and then the, this one as well too. So yeah. Oh, great. Well, there's lots of things that we could talk about today and, you know, COVID has certainly uh, brought to light the need for mental health support and all of those kinds of things. But I would just like to have a, a general conversation and we can tie that into COVID as well and helping kids. And, but let's just talk for just a minute about anxiety and stress. And then maybe what we're seeing now more than ever before is that, that idea of, of apathy and, and how those are all tied together. So I'd like to just have you visit with us and share with us uh, kind of how those things all tie together. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think the the increase in anxiety and stress has definitely been prominent, you know, throughout, um, you know, the country and, and, and kind of just really throughout our world. I mean, it's been heightened in terms of what people are experiencing. Um, I think, you know, one of the things is I was even kind of preparing for this and some of the things I was looking at and just kind of um, things that I came across. What's important to, to remember too, is that, you know, stress is definitely a part of life and it's something that we have to be more accepting of just in general. Now, obviously, you know, stress over a period of time, you know, can be more problematic, but I think stress in general, sometimes we can become stressed about being stressed. And that and on that side of it, especially, you know, from the teen side, you know, maybe, maybe the reality is that they're feeling a little bit more of that than maybe they felt you know, ever before, because it's impacting them a little bit more. So, um, but just, I think having some just general acceptance for stress in our lives is an important thing. Like, I don't know that it's ever going to go away or that's ever not going to be there. Obviously there's different times when we experience it more so than others. Um, so, you know, as we start to feel stress, I think where the anxiety comes in is that, the anxiety really is more a fear and uncertainty about what is to come. Like, what does this all mean for me and how do I process it? And what do I do about it? And I think when we're in a, we're in a state of feeling uncertain about what to do with it, that's where our anxiety starts to heighten. And that's where we start to maybe feel a little bit overwhelmed by not only the stress, but also what we're feeling internally, which, you know, again, is, is, is that anxious feeling, but the connection. And I, I think that this is an interesting thing that people might you know, want to look at as far as just like the connection, as far as apathy goes, is that apathy, apathy kind of is the result of a prolonged level of stress and anxiety over a period of time, but it kind of happens in two ways. One is just the result of, of it being so prolonged that, you know, it just kind of wears out our energy and we, we, we sort of just can't handle being stressed and anxious for such a long period of time that we just become apathetic. That's one way that we become apathetic in our, in our connection to anxiety. But the other thing that I think is interesting is that after a period of time um, of feeling stressed or feeling anxious, we might kind of develop the belief that nothing good will happen. 
And that's what kind of represents the, the problem or that's sort of what stands out as far as like for me is that if you start to have that belief that nothing good is going to happen or that only bad things will happen, then you start to become apathetic about kind of putting in effort to do something different. And when we start to feel like it doesn't really matter what we do, nothing's going to change. That type of apathy is the type of apathy that I think really starts to concern people when you can't really motivate kids to do much because they just feel this sense of like, what's the point? Like nothing good's going to come of it. And so that's where I think, like I said, the apathy really starts to, to worry. I think professionals, teachers, parents, um, people in that, in that state, when they start to see that type of apathy. So when, when we're experiencing that or seeing that, and as especially, I guess, in, in our case, in our conversation for a parent and, and for a classroom teacher or school administrator, we start to see those pieces of apathy show up. What are, what are some strategies? What are some things that uh, I can do as a parent or a teacher uh, to help kids, uh, I don't know, gain that sense of of confidence that we we're going to move through this or this part of my life's going to get better. Um, yeah. So I don't get to that point of doesn't matter what I do. Nothing good's going to happen. Right. Well, I think the, the starting point with that is like taking what you just said and like kind of remembering that that's the premise is that they're in a state of feeling like what's the point and nothing, no, no matter what I do, you know, it's not going to change anything or it's not going to matter. Nothing's necessarily going to get better. So I think from like a starting point, it's like, okay, well, how can we help them in a way to make, get them to start to feel like the things that they do can make a difference? So one of the things, and this is constant throughout the literature, not only with adults or not only with teenagers, but adults as well, is, is that we need to help people focus on what they can control. And a lot of times when you start to get into that place of apathy, it's like, Again, nothing's going to matter. Nothing really is going to change, but there are things that can change and there are things that you can control. It's just that you've kind of like lost focus on that or you've you've kind of given up that focus. So getting kids to kind of recenter and focus on, okay, well, what can you control in this situation? What can you do? And I think that's a good starting point for them. And then the other thing, I don't know if, you know, if we were going to talk about this in any kind of particular order, but just kind of adding um, to that. So something I was thinking about with that is that there's the notion of what what's uh, a term called personal competence. And basically personal competence is the belief that you can do something. So again, we're kind of in that place. So, so if apathy kind of takes away that belief, then personal competence is more of that structure around if I do have the belief that I can do something, then obviously that's something that I can benefit from. But when you look at kind of what what goes in the way of like taking that away from people or why they don't have that belief of, of that they can achieve something is that oftentimes there's a lack of, of a sense of purpose and identity in that. So even in the state that we're in right now, it's like, you know, when people have that sense of apathetic kind of way of being, not only to get them to focus on what they can control, but what is their purpose? What kind of purpose can they have during all this? What kind of sense of identity do they, do they want to create for themselves? And I think a lot of times for, especially for young people, they maybe haven't had to really think about that that much, but in a time like this, you know, having that sense of purpose, having that sense of identity is really important for them, even at a young age, rather than just kind of like going through the flow or just kind of, Hey, I'm in high school, things are great or wonderful. Well, now maybe having some more depth to things like having that sense of, Hey, what is my purpose? What do I want to accomplish here? 
What kind of things, again, can I control? That's an important part for them. And then the other thing is that another challenge to creating um, a sense of personal competence is just a lack of sustained effort over time. And so I think when we look at that is that we definitely, and this is kind of like, I guess I'm maybe branching off into a bigger issue, but this kind of like goes into some other things that we can look at is that, I mean, unfortunately, we've created a generation and even for us as adults, where instant gratification is something that we that we prefer, right? We, we'd rather take the quick fix than, than the thing that's going to take for a long time. And obviously, you know, adolescents are, are you know, they're, they, they've definitely grow, grown up in a world where there's a lot more instant gratification for things. And so the idea that, you know, when we look at something that hinders personal competence or developing a better sense of control of things is a lack of sustained effort is that we've somehow got to make sure that we're, we're moving kids towards something to where they can see that, that that sustained effort will help them to do something. Now, maybe it's more intermittent rewards and things that they can kind of feel better as they go through a process. But I think that's oftentimes what gets in the way of some of this, this, this the apathy and the, and the feelings of hopelessness is just that if they don't have that sustained effort over time, then they aren't going to see the results. And obviously that's going to lead to more frustration. So getting them to buy into something and recognize that as they buy into something that there can be a payoff, it just may take longer than, than what they think. I mean, even when you think about COVID, it's like, what was it? It's, it was like 15 days to flatten the curve. And now here we are two and a half years later. So yeah. <laughs> obviously it's been a sustained effort to try, <laughs> yeah, that's right. you know, but I think even with that, sometimes it can feel like, well, what, what can I do to, you know, what is it that we're going to do if we get vaccinated, if we do all these different things, how come we're not seeing results or, or getting the benefit of that? So, I mean, obviously there's, there's some things outside of your control that you can get frustrated at. So getting them to kind of stay within that realm of feeling like, you know, that focus on the things they can control and sustaining that effort over a period of time, I think are important parts of that. So anyway, that was a long winded. Oh, answer. that's a great answer. And it kind of leads into the other piece that uh, I think we wanted to talk about today. And, and that's just the, that dealing with the unknown and the circumstances of, you know, today I go to school and tomorrow we might be shut down or today I have athletics tomorrow. I might not. And, and so that, that piece of anxiety and stress and apathy, uh, that personal competence, those, those tie into that. How do I deal with the unknown and how do I help kids, especially, and I'm a, I'm a father of two high school or a junior high and a high school kid and, and one that's in university. And, you know, do I go online? Do I go to class? Do I rent an apartment? Do I not rent an apartment? How do, how do we help, um, our, our young our younger kids as school leaders, as again, parents, community leaders, coaches, how do we help them deal with the unknown? And, and yet we're still facing that even as adults, right? Like, so, yeah. so how do we lead through that and how do we help with that? Well, I think what you just said that I'll just speak on that, just that last part, just a little bit too. And I think that that's where some of this challenge has been so difficult is that, you know, adolescents and parents alike have been going through this together. So, so I think sometimes as adults, you know, we can get lost in our own process of this all. And then we also have to remember that we have kids that are kind of experiencing that too. So I think just being on the same page and, and 
even bringing our kids along with us is a, is a way to kind of deal with this, not in more of a negative way and not just kind of focusing on some of the negatives, but, you know, letting them know how we're getting through it as well. Like, what are we doing for ourselves to kind of manage some of the stress? Like, it's not, it's not just easy peasy for us because we're adults and we just, whatever. I mean, there's, there's challenges that we have. So I think it's also a great opportunity for us as parents to say, Hey, you know, these are some of the things that I've had to do, or these are some of the things that I'm doing to kind of help with that um, as a way. And obviously I'll get into some of the specifics that we can do, but I think just rem remembering that that's, that we have an opportunity there as adults to kind of be that example and say, Hey, this is not easy for me. And this is what I have to do daily to kind of gear myself up for that as well. Um, but specifically on that, I mean, one thing I want to reference too, and 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 I was, and I'll I'll share some things that were in that podcast. But I have a podcast. One of my episodes, episode twenty-two, is on uncertainty and vulnerability and how we deal with it. But there was a lot of things in there just specifically about dealing with uncertainty that I think still apply. But one of the main things, and I and I, I've already kind of brought this up, and and I'll talk about some some other aspects of it too. But I just want to start with this. But in the research I did for that podcast, one of the things that shone through is that people that people that deal with uncertainty the best, again, are people that have a greater sense of purpose and meaning in their life and kind of who they are. And so I think, again, cultivating that, even if it's at an early age or even if it's like within a situation, what's my purpose? What do I want to achieve during this time? you know, then I think that helps us to get through something a little bit better. So even like the, the, like the student athlete that may be playing one day or maybe not playing games the next day, it's like, well, my purpose still might be to, well, I still want to be the best, you know, basketball player that I can be. So if that's my purpose, then yes, obviously it's nice to show that in games and in practice, but I can still carry that on whether or not games are happening. I can still go out and shoot each day or I can do whatever I can work out or exercise to still try to maintain that sense of purpose that I have. And again, those are things that I can control. I can't necessarily control if we're going to have a game or not, but I can control what I do for myself because that's a part of my purpose, right? So again, going back to dealing with uncertainty, you know, having that sense of purpose is important. The other thing that we need to remember is that, you know, when it comes to the unknown, you know, one of our six basic needs is certainty and comfort. So when that's not there, we are going to, it's going to impact us. We, we know that, and obviously we're, we're feeling that. So I don't, I think the other thing is too, is just recognizing, like, if you're feeling uncertain and if you're feeling a little bit out of sorts, don't feel bad for feeling that way. I think sometimes we can think, well, you know, again, I'm, you know, I, sh you know, everybody else seems like they're okay and I'm not okay. That's probably not the case. There's probably a lot of people that aren't okay. And the reason that they're not okay is, again, that's one of our basic needs that we need to have as humans. And so to feel a little bit of uncertainty and to experience that, don't feel shame in that. Just accept it for what it is and know that that's something that we all need to feel differently. You know, we need to feel the opposite. We want to feel comfort. So I think, again, not making something worse by making yourself feel bad is, is a key part of that. Um the other thing, the other things that I've kind of already talked about some of these things, but they were in relation to the unknown. They're also in relation to, to personal competence, you know, finding meaning in things, trying to focus in on what I can control. Um, those are all parts of, you know, dealing with the unknown. Um, also, one of the things I looked at, it talked about, you know, making sure because certainty and comfort is one of our basic needs, then we also need to make sure that we're finding things that are healthy comforts. 
you know, again, if I, if I'm not in school or if I'm not playing the sport that I want, what can I do or, you know, to substitute with that, that still is a healthy comfort. So I can still exercise or I can still eat well, or I can still, you know, make sure I'm getting enough sleep. I can still do all those things that can still provide me a sense of healthy comfort. I just might not be able to, again, play in the game or do whatever it is that's being, you know, maybe suspended for right now, but I can still find some healthy comforts. I think another big thing that we have to do, and hopefully this is, this has been better over the years is I think some of that healthy comfort and some of the things that are a benefit to us is just general connections, you know, being able to, you know, obviously when appropriate or healthy or all those other factors that we have to look at now, but being able to just make sure that we're spending quality time with others and maintaining connections the best way that we can. Um, I think the other thing that's important to think about when we think about uncertainty is don't believe everything you think. You know, I think there, there's sometimes, you know, when we look at the notion of the thoughts that might come into our head or the or the again, the uncertainty that kind of wants to fill our brain as far as what may or may not happen. It's like those are just thoughts. You know, we don't don't believe everything that kind of comes into your head. When I talk with people that have issues with anxiety, one of the one of the um, proponents of anxiety is the what ifs, you know, and when we go down the what if rabbit hole, you know, there's really no end to those what ifs. And so a lot of times what I encourage people to do with the what ifs, and now it sounds maybe too basic, or it sounds like it's just easy peasy, but it's like really what you have to do to, to the, what the, what ifs to, to counter the what ifs is just quickly diffuse them with this, just a neutralizing statement of whatever, because in some sense, whatever, like if, if schools cancel, if sports are canceled, whatever, like it's going to be what it's going to be. And I can, what if myself through that to where I don't know what's going to happen and feel more uncertain, or I can just kind of be like, okay, whatever, I'll just be ready for whatever, like it's going to be. And I just have to kind of let that go and just kind of try to neutralize it. So it doesn't keep building off itself. So don't believe everything you think. Try to neutralize those what ifs. Don't get caught up in the what ifs because, again, there's just we can just go on and on with those. Um, those are some general things that I think would be good for people dealing with uncertainty in the unknown. That's awesome. I, I really like the idea of the what ifs because, you know, um, and, and I'm speaking really general here, but I, I think there are students that, um, you know, it's not going to matter or, um, you know, if I get a C in the class or, you know, I can whatever, get this percentage on a diploma exam or on a, any class exam and, and I'm going to pass the course and it doesn't matter right now anyway. And, and I, and my worry is that all of a sudden it blows up and it's like, I, I didn't do the preparation work and, and now life is more normal. And, and all of a sudden I'm in trouble. The other thing that I really wanted to visit about is we had lots of conversation about resilience and, and uh, I know you've uh, spoke on this in the past, uh, but um, sometimes I, we hear the statement, well, kids will bounce back. They're resilient. And it's probably a true statement, but there's also some pieces in there about building resilience. And I read um, over the last week or so in, in a book, uh, it's by Bruce Perry. It's called what happened to you. And it's more on trauma, but he has this little mm -hmm. paragraph in there about, you know, moderate, predictable, and controllable activation of our stress response leads to a more flexible and stronger stress response capability. And so, you know, we don't just become resilient naturally, I guess. And we have to have certain situations and, and uh, 
have a positive outcome from them, and then we can handle a, a, a more challenging uh, situation. I just wondered your thoughts on on how we as parents and as uh, teachers can help build resilience in kids so that they do have they can deal with those what ifs and all of the other little pieces that you kind of talked about in our last little piece there. Yeah, um, I think one of the things and I, I was thinking about as a topic about resilience and. I think sometimes when we look at, like like you said, how to build resilience, obviously it's definitely a process and it's not something that just kind of happens overnight. I think one of the things that we have to do when it comes to our kids, especially with resilience, I think one of the biggest challenges in helping to create or build resilience is more about what we what we do versus what we don't do, or maybe it's the other way around, depending on how this comes out. But it's basically the idea of a lot of times what we do is we often take things away from our kids or we remove obstacles that might be good for them that we don't allow them to experience that can help build that ultimate resilience. So I think when we find ourselves, you know, removing certain things from our kids, then that is a, that's often a red flag for me. It's like, okay, when a kid, what, whether it's like when they get into trouble or when they're struggling with the class or whatever, like how much as a parent do we do for them rather than maybe just helping them figure out a way to get through something. If we just kind of take it all on for them, then obviously that's not a place where they're going to be building that muscle to to be more resilient. So I think the first thing we need to look at it, you know, in, in the development of that is just like, what kind of obstacles do we remove from our kids versus, you know, allowing them to not necessarily that we want them to struggle in the sense of like, oh, they, we want them to have a bad life. I think that's the problem is that we want them to have a good life, but sometimes that equals too good of a life, you know, or too, too good of a life in the sense that we don't allow them to kind of go through anything maybe overly challenging, or if at the first sign of distress, we're like, okay, we got to take that from them, as opposed to maybe having a conversation with them about, okay, what can we do to work through that? What do you need to do? What can we help you with? And what's kind of fair in that resolve? So I think that's the first thing to kind of look at as far as the development of resilience, because to me, something I've read in, 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 in a book, and I forgot to get the name of it, but it's in, I did a podcast on resilience too. So it's, I know that I named the author in there, but he said, responsibility offers us power. And I think when we look at that, especially again, as kids and, and, and teens is that, you know, when we have responsibility, it offers us a sense of power in our lives. And like, again, right now, when we think about, you know, you know, feeling uncertain or feeling anxious, when we have a sense of power in our lives, when we feel we have a sense of greater control, that makes us feel better about who we are. And we're more apt to, you know, deal with the things that we have to deal with. So as opposed to looking at responsibility in a negative way, when we see it as something that provides that sense of power, obviously that's more of a, a benefit in our lives. And I think the other thing too, and obviously this is a more philosophical thing in, in terms of, you know, just a general way of looking at, 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 at approaching things is that not being so focused in on like more of a destination or the end, but like really looking at the journey. And I think that has a lot to do with the way that we define failure. And I think part of, and I mentioned this in actually, I've, I've spoke on this a lot in that, in the class that I did, or the, the video that I did for the sports performance class for the hockey stuff. 
um, just talked about our how, how we have to really look at failure in a different way. You know, we're so used to, you know, looking at things in a results based, you know, success. And if it wasn't if it wasn't a success, it was a failure. And that's just not the case. I think when we understand that failure creates meaning for us and it creates an opportunity to learn and an opportunity to grow then we compartmentalize that in such a different way rather than we look at failure as like, oh, that means I suck or that means I'm a loser or that means I'm not good. And it's like, no, that's not what any of that means. And so I think when we're talking about building resilience, that's a big shift that we have to look at too, because the idea of failure is really a part of resilience. It's a part of like, okay, how can I look at that situation? And I said, learn from it and grow from it and become better of it rather than letting it define who I am and letting it define me as like, oh, I guess I'm just not going to be good at this or, or I just can't be good at school or I guess I'm just, you know, not very smart or whatever it is. If that's how we approach failure, then obviously the way that we, um, you know, develop resilience is not going to be, you know, very effective. And so I think as parents and as teachers, helping kids maybe create meaning or helping them to have a better understanding of that process and ways that we can cultivate that maybe just in our, in our, in our learning environments is having kids look for that. Hey, what did you get from this? What did you learn from this? What was your, you know, what did you take away rather than just on focusing on, well, I didn't get the A or I didn't get the whatever. It's like, okay, but what did you take away from this? And I think as we do that in our learning, it helps to cultivate that sense of meaning and then maybe can shift that focus of, oh, I did get something from this and this can help me or this does benefit me and I can move that forward rather than just such a black and white approach to it. So anyway, those are some initial I, I know. I, I, I really love that. And I, I love the idea of going back and ensuring and, and teaching our, our kids and, and even reevaluating ourselves as adults. And remember that this, this is a journey and uh, you know, speaking about COVID and, and the last couple of years, that's definitely been a journey. Um, but what are some of the lessons we've learned? What are some of the things we've seen? How do we learn from that? Look at it in a different way. Uh, definitely looking at failure in a different way. I, um, you know, uh, Carol Dweck and growth mindset and not yet and all of those mm -hmm. things. We talk about them all uh, quite a bit, probably, really. But sometimes our, our application lacks. And so if there's ever a time to really uh, sit down with uh, students or with uh, with our our children our, our our own kids and have that conversation about journey and failure and and just uh, you know all of those things that you just kind of mentioned in that last piece uh, looking at our negative thinking uh, talking about all the what ifs I mean we can I think we, people can say we get what if this to death or whatever <laughs> right, right, yeah <laughs> and sometimes we just got to get out and get the work done so no I really mm -hmm. appreciate I really appreciate that so. You know, in, in all of that conversation, and, and I think we touched on this a little bit, but I just wondered if you'd spend just a little more time on that self-doubt piece and uh, what, um, you know, we get in those situations where, you know, we've, we've probably failed more than we've succeeded. Uh, mm -hmm. We've tried to be positive and learn from those lessons, but there, there comes a point where self-doubt kicks in and, and how, does, how does an individual, how does a a uh, young adolescent or uh, an adult, how do we overcome that self-doubt piece and, and be better, yeah. be kinder to ourselves, I guess, sometimes. Right. Um, so I, I, I wrote down four things with that as far as things that, and, and again, some of these things are re 
re, are going to kind of be repetitive. But just when you look at the literature and you try to look at different things that are beneficial to, to working through self-doubt, I mean, they just are what they are. So if they kind of overlap with other things, there's probably a reason to focus on those things and makes them even more viable, you know, especially when we kind of hear them repeated. But the first thing that we can do with self-doubt is, is recognize that we just maybe sometimes have to embrace it for what it is. Meaning that I think sometimes our internal sense of self is just that we, we think that we're the only ones feeling that way. And the reality is that we all accept doubt. And so self-doubt can sometimes be something that we have. And kind of like even in some ways, anxiety is like a little bit of anxiety can be good because it can motivate us to do something different or motivate us to kind of, you know, Hey, I need to study for that test. Like I'm feeling a little bit uncertain about it and I need to study for it. So it can go that way. The same thing with self-doubt is that we can turn self-doubt into something that kind of pushes us. So Recognizing that it is just something that might be there is, I think, the first step. The, se- the second thing is, is that when we look at self-doubt in general, I mean, obviously, we kind of view it as different thoughts that kind of pop into our head. And, and sometimes those thoughts can sound like, a, you know, like the same voice over and over again. And so, you know, when you talk about that, we'll refer to it as the inner critic or that voice that kind of, you know, like speaks our self-doubt, sometimes a way that we can like work through that is just name that critic, name that voice and give it something that we can kind of like talk back and forth with, but some, a voice that can also, again, be motivating, like, Hey, that sounds like, you know, such and such in my head or whatever. That's, that's, you know, what, whoever that person is, but take it on as something that, you know, that we can kind of verbalize back and forth with and maybe have a little bit of banter, like, hey, my self-doubt named Charlie, he's, you know, he's really giving it to me today. And you know what, I'm going to tell Charlie, like, I'm, I'm just not having it today. And I'm going to go out and do my stuff. And, you know, and whether it's having fun with it, or whether it's, you know, giving it a name that, again, can kind of give us a little bit of kick to what where we want to like fight back against the self-doubt. I mean, whatever kind of works for us, I think is important in there. Um, the third thing, and this is, again, the, one of the repetitive things, but the third thing I came across for for working through self-doubt is cultivating a sense of purpose. Again, you know, people that lack that strong sense of purpose tend to kind of have more self-doubt. And so when we know what we want, when we know what we really value, when we know what we're kind of going after, there's less room for self-doubt. And I think if anybody really thinks about that in their lives and situations that they've been in, where they've been more focused, where they've had a greater sense of this is what I want to do, it's really hard for that self-doubt to move us. It's when we're in places more of uncertainty or places that we're not really sure that that gives more space for the self-doubt to come in and kind of sway us. And so when we're going to approach something, you know, just developing that sense of purpose of what we want to get out of something or what we want to do kind of helps counter that self-doubt from the start. Um, and then the last time or the last thing is was just a general sense of self-acceptance again. And this kind of goes back with the first one where we try to just embrace doubt, but also just accepting ourselves for, you know, kind of like we don't have to get into a place of comparison. There's going to be things about your friend, you know, Tom, that are he might be able to jump higher, do things, whatever. But there's going to be things about you that you do better and that you are you know, better at whether you're a better talker, better communicator, it doesn't really matter. We're all going to have strengths and weaknesses. I think part of like 
removing the self-doubt is just being in a place of self-acceptance of kind of, hey, I have strengths, I have weaknesses, I can work on those things, I can try to get better, but ultimately not, you know, paying too much attention in terms of the comparative side where we're always kind of looking at other people and seeing, you know, them for having more than what we have. I think that really becomes a problem for us, especially with self-doubt. So just having more self-acceptance, I think really helps with that as well. So those are kind of the four things I came up with in, in terms of that. And so I think, you know, hopefully those can be helpful for people. Awesome. I think probably one of the ones that most of us struggle with is that comparing ourselves to others and their situations. And, and I, especially I think for young people is that self comparison and we see everybody's, uh, Oh, I, I call it their, um, Instagram life. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. we know, right. we know on the other side of that Instagram life, things aren't quite like that. So, yeah. Well, as we, uh, start to wrap some things up here, I just, um, one of the things that I know is really important is taking care of yourself. And uh, it's been a lot of a lot of anxiety felt by people, a lot of stress, um, and so I I know uh, for the last bit here, I'd just like to visit with you about some of those strategies and things that we um, we kind of know as self care and how how do we care for ourselves in in tough situations as we work through these these mental health challenges that we that I would say all of us at some level are experiencing right now. Yeah. What are, what are some thoughts there you have on, on caring for yourself? Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely I wrote some things down. And I think one of the things, again, about this, this part of it is that it's not really rocket science. It's not going to be stuff that blows you away as far as like when you hear it. I think it's just kind of like the basic things. But, you know, again, connection is super important. I think especially early on in COVID when people were really more in the fear stages and uncertain about gatherings and that kind of stuff that really took a toll as far as just the connection with people. I think that's gotten better now as we've kind of like, you know, moved into stuff and kind of been sitting with it for a long longer, but still the importance of just having and maintaining healthy connections with people. I mean, again, young people being around their friends, being able to spend time with them, those types of things are super important. Um, Keeping a busy schedule. Again, a lot of times I think what really was problematic, especially early on during COVID and, and, and without, you know, times where there hasn't been school or times where there hasn't been sports, a busy schedule for, I think a lot of kids. And obviously that can invite in a lot of other things. It can, I mean, one of the things that can invite in is just more self-doubt, more like inner critic kind of negative thinking and stuff like that, because you're just not doing something with your mind. And so that can be a playground for a lot of that. So the idea of keeping a busy schedule, even when you don't have to, I think is an important tool that people can utilize. And as much as I know kids, you know, they like to sometimes have their free time or whatever. I get that, but maybe try to schedule free time or have that be a part of your day rather than, you know, just making that your day. Because again, keeping a busy schedule, trying to have a routine, you know, whether that's filled with some, you know, some things that you do. And again, it, even if you're scheduling in free time, that's okay, but just, you know, try to keep a busy schedule. And then obviously, you know, exercise is, is an important aspect. And I think for teens more than anything, I mean, just, you know, healthy sleep schedules are, are super important. Um, and, you know, the, and, and there's just a lot of things that can distract away from that, whether it's phones and video games and different stuff like that. And I mean, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be all those things. Just sometimes, I mean, it can be, well, I mean, I guess it could be, 
you know, sometimes it can be anxiety that keeps you awake and stuff like that. So it doesn't always have to be in, in those forms of outlets that kind of keep us from our sleep. But I think just making sure that we're, you know, getting enough sleep as, as teenagers is, is super important to maintaining, you know, some self-care and, and being healthy in that, in that realm. It can also go the other way. I mean, sleeping too much is also yeah. problematic too, you know? And so, I mean, there's that side of it as well, where that goes back into the notion of keeping a busy schedule, right? Like if I'm not doing anything, I'm not going to feel productive. I'm going to allow for maybe more of that depressive kind of side to kind of set in. So there's a balance there, right? You know, with sleep and, but it is an important aspect of things. Um, so sleeping the right amount, I guess is, is key in that, in that scenario. So, um, anyway, those are some things that I think are, are good for people to, to practice. Awesome. I think we, uh, certainly underestimate those, those simple things of, uh, eat, sleep and exercise when it comes mm. to caring for ourselves and need to plan those things in and into our day and into our, our lifestyle, especially, um, right now where, where we're under a lot of, uh, stress and anxiety. Um, I do have another kind of question for you and it, it has to do with just mental health in general and, and working in the mental health field. But, um, there's always that question. And I, I guess I kind of bring this up because, uh, uh, we'll, we're going to come up on here soon and schools try and acknowledge it, but, uh, uh, bell let's talk. And just for just a minute uh, in your expertise, just a little bit on why mental health is important and overcoming that stigma of I need to go see a counselor and, and, you know, my friend's suffering from depression. I don't know if I should hang out with them anymore or whatever those, those things are. What are your thoughts about mental health in general for, for us as a population and, and kind of supporting people who struggle with mental health and those kind of things. Obviously you chose to have that as a career, but so you feel it's important, but I'd, I'd like just to be able to, for others to realize that this is a real, it's important. And, and at different times in our lives, we probably all are on that spectrum uh, in different areas of, of our personal mental health. So I just like your kind of your thoughts on, on the stigma around mental health and how we overcome that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the, the first thing that comes to mind with the stigma around it is, is that I think we just live in a place where, you know, in general, where it's like, you know, we have to be strong or try to, you know, come across strong or just always, you know, again, part of it's worse via social media where, you know, things are just in a good place or they appear to be good. And so the idea of like vulnerability or the idea of kind of not maybe being as strong as you might be perceived, I think it just has a, 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 you know, people are afraid of that or they're afraid of, you know, not being, you know, strong or, you know, in that way. But I think, again, it's just like kind of like with the idea of failure, like shifting that mindset is just that, you know, so often strength comes from being vulnerable, you know, when we kind of reach out and we can, you know, say, Hey, I'm not doing well, you know, like I'm struggling with depression or anxiety. I mean, to me, that takes a lot of strength to do that. So even though we might think of it as weakness, it's really a strong place to be coming from that we can actually take that step, you know, to, to reach out and to ask for help. I mean, when we can ask for help, um, you know, like I said, I think that says a lot about our, our ability to, to be strong for ourselves. And that's really what's important is that we want to be strong for, for ourselves. And, you know, and I think 
you know, as things go on and like I said, I mean, COVID maybe has been good for the mental health side of things a little bit, but it's still, you know, COVID could be gone tomorrow and six months from now, we might think differently about mental health. You know, it could go back to the way that it, you know, that it's been. And I think that that, that would be a shame because we can look at this and say, okay, well, obviously our mental health is important. We know it's important. Um, but overcoming that stigma is, I think, a part of the shame that goes in, like that there's something wrong with me. There's something, you know, that's not okay with me. And that's not really what it is. Just we, we, we all have different struggles and challenges. And so I think when we can, as a whole, kind of come together and feel like, hey, you know, your mental health um, uh, as, a, as a whole is just one part of you. It's not a defining piece, but it's something that sometimes is is needed to take care of and so you know going to see a counselor or going to see somebody for that help that's just a part of it like you would for anything else and plus you know there's some pretty cool counselors out there i can that's i can right. name a few <laughs> there you go there you go <laughs> so it's not always a, a bad thing from that perspective yeah. but yeah i just think a lot of it just comes down to just our, our our ability to just be okay with sometimes not being okay i know that's sometimes a statement but but in a place where we feel like we always have to be okay, um, you know, it's um, it's it's a challenge. And I, you know, one thing though, I will say, I don't know what the, the the complete climate is like there, but you know, as I've worked with some adolescents, you know, in Las Vegas and a little bit more here, um, I will say that there's there is a little bit more of a of a. I guess, a, an awareness amongst young people as far as the mental health. I mean, maybe it's even gone like, you know, like the other way a little bit where like I've had some parents approach me and say, my daughter wants a therapist or my son wants a therapist because other kids want to have a therapist. And so <laughs> it's like trending in that cool thing, I guess, or whatever. And, right. and you don't necessarily want it to be something like that. But there definitely is a, is more of, I think, of a, a sense of communicating about mental health amongst teens, I think. Um, and, and so that's a good step and that's a good sign because I think they do watch out for each other. I've had, other, I've had several kids that have, have reached out to parents when they've had friends that have been suicidal that have, that have basically saved their friend from, you know, taking their lives. So I think there's, there's some good in that, 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 that's going on amongst young people. And so hopefully we as adults can kind of, you know, take those steps as well. That's awesome. Thank you. I know, uh, you know, we, uh, I'm sure you've heard of the organization hope squads. Um, mm -hmm. and we, we have hope squads here in our schools and it's definitely opened the conversation up about how to talk to your peer about mental health and their mental health. And especially when we get to those, um, conversations around suicide and things like that. So at the start of this year, um, when I started these podcasts, I had a little question at the end and it related to, a a presentation that our superintendent gave us. Uh, I won't go into details all on that, but the, the question that I've kind of ended my, all of my podcasts this year on, and you can give it from the perspective of a, of a therapist and psychologist, but the, the question is, what does it mean to you to be a better human? And so I'm going to think about that for a sec as a therapist and let you answer that question. What does it mean to be a better human? Um, I think what it means to me to be a better human is just that I'm doing what I can to, I mean, I think when we kind of talk about our purpose and our sense of identity, I think for me to be a better human, it's like making sure that I'm living in accordance with that sense of purpose, knowing what it is and knowing the things that I value about, 
you know, not only just, you know, the work that I'm doing, but the ability to kind of help people and be in a place where, you know, I, I have to be, you know, I know when people walk through that door, they're walking through in a very vulnerable state. And so if I'm not giving them my best, or if I haven't, you know, done my reading or my research or my work or tried to improve myself, then that's not fair. Then I'm not, I'm not being fair to them. So I think for me to be a better human, it's like knowing that I, I want to make sure that I'm showing up for people as they show up for me. And when I think we do that, when we try to be our best selves each day, you know, that's all we can ask. And I mean, I get we're going to have days where it's it's harder to do that. But I think as a whole, as we're just trying to show up for people and um, be who we can be for them and be, you know, the person that we feel like we need to be for ourselves. I think that's being a better human. Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Ryan. I really appreciate you coming on and and uh, Kent, he keeps pushing me and saying he's great. You got to have him on. And I'm like, you're on. We'll, we'll get you there. So now I can tell your tell Kent to, he's got to listen in and uh, <laughs> hear what we had to talk about. But I really appreciate you coming on and, and fun to have somebody yeah. that uh, was a graduate of Westwind and Carson High School and from Hill Spring and and has gone on and done some great things. So I appreciate the impact you're having on, on the lives of individuals, of people that you counsel with. And I appreciate what this uh, podcast will do in a timely part here in Westwind. So thanks for coming on and joining with us today. Well, thanks for having me and go Panthers, Panthers for life. <laughs> That's, That's right. the spring thing. So yes. <laughs> I, think, I think I have a game against them on Thursday in grade eight basketball. So that'll be fun. So nice. Anyway. All right. Well, thanks okay. again for having me. Yeah. Thanks so much.